This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Welcome to Earthwise, environment and peace with justice interviews on Plains FM 96.9. Welcome to Earthwise. I'm Lois Griffiths. Today's program is a repeat of the interview Earthwise had earlier in the year with Dr. Kate Dews about the UN treaty to ban nuclear weapons an important treaty that has been ratified by over 50 countries, including New Zealand, but unfortunately not by the nuclear powers. Well, this interview follows well our last EarthWise program, where peace activist Anne Wright warns of the dangerous decision by NATO to aggressively move into the Pacific. So let's listen now to the interview with Kate Hughes. Note that she pays tribute to other Cantabrians who played vital roles in the struggle to obtain this treaty. Harold Evans, Elsie Locke, and Mary Woodward. And Kate plays tribute to the role played by Norman Kirk. And Kate also acknowledges the courage of Mordecai Van Nunu in exposing to the world something which should not be kept secret, and that's Israel's nuclear might. Well, Kate co-directed the Christchurch Disarmament and Security Center with her husband, Rob Green, and they've started to round up from 1998, and now they're turning it over to two impressive young people. Well, Kate Dews was on the International Steering Committee for the World Court Project. I think she'll be talking about that in a moment. She was a part-time lecturer in peace studies at the University of Canterbury for 20 years. She was a member of the UN Security General, Secretary General's Advisory Board on Disarmament Matters up till 2013. An impressive list of qualifications and experience. Welcome to Earthwise, Dr Kate Dews. Lovely to be talking with you again. Well, Kate, last August, August 2020, marked 75 years since the U.S. dropped the two nuclear bombs. One codenamed Little Boy was dropped on Hiroshima, and three days later, one codenamed Fat Man was dropped on Nagasaki. These are cities with people living in them, killing hundreds of thousands outright. Well, Kate, you've been active in efforts to ban nuclear weapons for a long time, Martin mentioned the World Court Project. What was that about? Yes, well, I suppose I've been working on this for 45 years um, since uh, we got peace squadrons organised in Auckland and other cities to go out and try and prevent the entry of nuclear ships coming Mm. into New Zealand. And about 1984 to 87, when we were lobbying to get the nuclear-free legislation passed under the Labour government, Uh, one of the members of our group, Harold Evans, uh, began a project called the World Court Project, well, became known as that, and his idea was to test the legality of nuclear weapons, the whole question of use and threat and everything else, in the International Court of Justice, which is the legal arm of the UN. So that began about 86, 87, And I became involved right from the beginning, and eventually it took us eight to ten years to go through the World Health Organization and the UN General Assembly to get a question before the International Court of Justice through the UN General Assembly, which was basically asking 
the question was, a threat, is a threat or use of nuclear weapons uh, illegal under existing international law? And it took until 1996 that the International Court of Justice basically came out with an amazing decision, and that was that generally the threat or use of nuclear weapons would generally be contrary to the rules of international law applicable in armed conflict, and in particular the principles and rules of humanitarian law. That was very important because it also confirmed that the Nuremberg Principles apply to nuclear weapons. But they did also finally unanimously agree to a really important paragraph, which I'd like to share. It's called that they, they agreed that there exists an obligation to pursue in good faith and bring to a conclusion negotiations leading to nuclear disarmament in all its aspects under strict and effective international control. And that is the basis from which this new treaty on the prohibition of nuclear weapons has been implementing that decision from the court through the UN General Assembly just recently. So these, all these developments date from the David Longy days, don't they, and even earlier? So, even yeah. earlier, yes. actually. If we, if we give tribute to those that have really um, led this in the past, they often come from Christchurch, and um, there was the move for a Southern Hemisphere nuclear weapon-free zone, which was called a Petition No Bombs South of the Line, and women like... Elsie Locke and Mary Woodward collected uh, with CND members over 80,000 signatures for this, presented it to Parliament, and okay, it took 40 years, but we've now got effectively a Southern Hemisphere nuclear weapon free zone, which is just wonderful. And that was the second biggest petition after the vote for women's suffrage. But also, uh, Norman Kirk was a very strong leader as a not just a member of Parliament in Christchurch, but then as Prime Minister, taking the issue of French testing in the Pacific to the International Court of Justice in 1973, but also sending a frigate with New Zealand uh, Minister of, of Government on board up to protest uh, at Mururoa about the test. But he also called on the UN for a Southern South Pacific nuclear free, weapon-free zone, which was achieved in 1986. So these are all building blocks that have come to where we are today. Well, so it's frustrating that we're talking about something that happened oh so long ago, and uh, and yet I can't see how why it took so long. Although I've just read a book um, that came out on August 22 last year that um, talks about the obstructions, the uh, attempts to censor any media outlets about what was really happening. And this um, this involved the Australian journalist, Wilfred Burchett, who actually got into Hiroshima and he saw what happened. They, the media tried to stop all military, all journalists, including Japanese journalists, and they didn't want to get out the after effect. I mean, one thing, you drop a bomb, and they, they wanted the American public to think, well, we dropped a bomb, or we dropped, it's just a bigger bomb. And it ended the war. They even promoted the bomb as a, 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 a peaceful thing, really, because it saved so many American lives. I mean, it's, there's this awful determination to censor any truth. And that, of course, delayed all the efforts on, on behalf of people who realized what was going on. 
Yes, except right from the beginning, the Japanese people spoke out about what had happened, whether the journalists were muzzled or, or not. The ordinary citizens tried to do something, including a case called the Shimoda case in 1963 in Japan, where some of the, vet- uh, the victims took a case, and it was ruled that what, they, what the Americans did there was illegal, and quite a few British and American people in the early 80s also took cases against the United States for what they did. So legal challenges happened. I agree that there was terrible censorship, and there continues to be censorship in Japan about the intergenerational effects of radiation on uh, future generations. And there's been quite a concerted effort by some of us women to go and uh, talk with second and third generation um, survivors of what happened at Hiroshima and Nagasaki and get the older women to talk with women that they trust about what happened to them and the cover-up that they weren't allowed to talk about giving birth to babies that looked like bunches of purple grapes or... Uh, they were some of them were uh, sterilized so they couldn't have uh, further children a lot of them wouldn't talk about the fact that they were survivors because they were scared they would never marry um, because people were worried about the defects but so there's been a cover-up at that level as well as through the media but it's good that this is starting to come out and of course nuclear weapons we shouldn't be surprised the opposition from the nuclear weapon states they are holding, or certainly the permanent five, have the positions in the UN where they have the right to veto things within the United Nations, even though they hold these nuclear weapons. And it has been pointed out, they, especially the United States and the UK and sometimes New Zealand, have ignored the fact and, in fact, promoted the fact that um, Israel could have nuclear weapons secretly. Um, they've not spoken out about that. I've watched New Zealand government change policy on that over the years as groups like ours have been members of a public advisory committee on disarmament and have raised that question and said, why are we um, kowtowing to the United States and British pressure uh, to just keep our mouths shut about um, what Israel's doing with its nuclear weapons? Most people don't know that it's got enough more or about the same as the United Kingdom. Mm. So there has been censorship, but it is the biggest weapon available. While you might get some of those um, more powerful states agreeing to a chemical weapons convention or a biological weapons convention, they are not going to let go what they believe is the ultimate weapon, and they believe that nuclear deterrence has worked. Well, there's been a lot of work done, not least by my husband and others, who have debunked that myth that somehow nuclear deterrence works and keeps the peace. And I think this is where it is, why it has taken so long, is that there's, you cannot prove whether nuclear deterrence has worked or whether the UN has worked or whether the International Court has worked uh, in getting rid of nukes. But the populations in certain countries have certainly changed the mindset so that we now have about 112 nuclear weapon-free zone countries and now you have a vast majority in the UN uh, moving towards getting this treaty on the prohibition of nuclear weapons. But, of course, it takes a long time when you've got bullies like the US and UK and France and others in the UN who stymie any progress and bully smaller countries. I've seen it happen. Yeah, they're making new, making new weapons, aren't they? Smaller That's ones correct. that they say are, are safer because they wouldn't do so much damage. <laughs> but it, it's... 
when has a nuclear weapon been safe uh, or good for you? Yeah, absolutely. So I think now we've got a treaty, we've got Biden in place, um, things could begin to change, but I think it's going to come from countries like Britain, where certainly Scotland is uh, calling for independence and ha- wants an independent foreign policy and to get rid of the nukes that are at Fars Lane and take, send them back to... England, um, they don't want them, uh, and there's nowhere in England that they can actually house them reasonably safely. So this is interesting because certainly Britain has got rid of quite a few of its nuclear weapons. Um, But, of course, now having this international norm against nuclear weapons in the UN means that it's progressively going to take us to um, getting rid of them eventually, I hope it'll be in my lifetime, but I fear it might only be in my grandchildren's lifetime. Um, but we can only hope, and and it's a big success that it's gone through. You're listening to Earthwise, broadcasting in Christchurch on Plains FM 96.9, in Hamilton on Free FM, and in Waikanae on Coast Access FM. Today's guest is Dr Kate Dews, and we're discussing the urgent need to ban nuclear weapons. Well, Kate, tell us, please, why you and others... Well, actually, we were there as well. While you and others gathered early in the morning of the 22nd of January this year, just a week ago, on Christchurch Brighton Pier. Well, we were celebrating the entry into force of the new Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. There are now 52 states that have ratified, about 87 that have signed. Uh, And that means now that officially in the UN and globally that nuclear weapons are illegal. And that is a huge success for New Zealand and others. But what the treaty uh, obligates all those state parties to do is that they must never under any circumstances develop, test, produce, acquire, stockpile, transfer, host, use or threaten to use nuclear weapons or assist with or encourage any other such activities. That is massive. It's very similar wording to what New Zealand passed as legislation in 1987. And all states that now ratify and agree to these obligations um, will have to pass a law nationally similar to New Zealand's nuclear-free law um, so that you've got it actually happening at national level, not just international. This... um one of the things they're prohibited to do is to threaten to use weapons. That's even, right. even language like all options on the table that we hear, it, I should think we send a chill down anybody's spine. <laughs> well, look, it's not going to come in overnight because we're up against the biggest force, really, the biggest use of nuclear weapons, the whole strategic um, military basis for the biggest states in the world. So it is going to keep coming through people like whistleblowers like Mordecai Venunu, who blew the whistle on Israel's nuclear weapons many years ago. It'll come from legislators who are now questioning in parliaments, uh, especially through the NATO states, where they host nuclear weapons, such as Netherlands, Belgium, Italy, Germany and Spain. Four of those countries, they are doing a lot of work as activists and parliamentarians to uncover where are those secret agreements with the United States where they agreed many decades ago to allow uh, nuclear weapons to be based on their soil. And as those states get a backbone and use this um, treaty wording to say, get them out of here, they're illegal, we don't want them, then that is going to shift the mindset as well and the whole number game 
it's not maybe so easy to do within Russia and China and in Korea, uh, even India and Pakistan, but it becomes a landmark decision within the UN. It's going to have to take public pressure, isn't it? Yes, now, it always does. Do you 62 countries that ratified, sorry to interrupt, um, a lot of them were Pacific Island countries, and there's a particular concern in the small Pacific countries, aren't there? Isn't there? That's right, and, and I'm delighted that so many Pacific Island states are out there um, signing up and ratifying. I mean, they're victims of nuclear, the effects of nuclear weapons through nuclear testing, and there's a very specific clause in the treaty. It's Article 6 in particular, which talks about um, the need for each state to, um, just looking at it here, um, each state party with respect to areas under its jurisdiction or control contaminated as a result of activities relating to the testing or use of nuclear weapons shall take necessary and appropriate measures towards the environmental remediation of areas so contaminated, but also that they have to support the veterans who have been affected by nuclear testing. So within the Pacific, there's been a great push to get this to happen and wonderful that our diplomats and retired diplomats and our activists have been contacting everyone they know in the Pacific Island states and said, come on, we'll help you legislate and we'll help you get this ratification in and support the um, resolution because often the small Pacific Island states don't have um, an office in the UN, they can't afford it. So it's been really important that New Zealand will promote that, but of course Australia's not promoting it because Australia supports nuclear deterrence and they're a very active member of ANZUS. So they're not going to be doing the same promotion that New Zealand is to try and uphold the South Pacific Southern Hemisphere nuclear-free zone area. Well, I read a, a book that tells a shocking story of what was done to the Marshall Islands. Absolutely. I think the I book mean, was called Don't Ever Whisper. That's right. Okay. Now, Wonderful book. Yes. Now, do, do you, the treaty's been signed by 87 countries, 62 have ratified. Well, the ones who have signed but not ratified, do they have obligations as well? Not yet. They kind of, well, they're, they're moving towards ratification. Once they ratify, they definitely have to um, fulfil everything in the treaty. Do you see any any hope or change coming with a new American government or not? Oh, absolutely. There has to be change when <laughs> immediately with Biden first day going back to join up the WHO and sign on to the Paris Agreement. That gives me hope. Whether they're prepared to do uh, positive things on nuclear weapons, one would hope that is the case. Um, certainly there's going to be effects um, to how much money they can put into funding uh, nuclear and other programs when they've got such a hideous situation with COVID and unemployment, etc. So they've got to work out what real security is all about. And hopefully with the way Joe Biden works and his many years of experience, he will be looking at um, what they're going to do in terms of upholding international law. Um, well, I don't have that much confidence in, in Biden because I know he approved of the attack on Iraq. My feeling is that the pressure's got to have to come from the public. And I'm thinking of the people like the Kings Bay Plowshare 7, the, yes. the Plowshares activists. They're wonderful, wonderful people. And we met some of the other nuns that had been in prison for many years when we were at the Treaty on the Prohibition of ah. Nuclear Weapons Negotiations. And they are a very inspiring group. And they are certainly going to prison, for some of them for decades, 
to highlight this whole issue, but they get a lot of media coverage. But they also help spur the conscience of the Catholic Church. And the encouraging thing is that the Pope is speaking out against nuclear weapons. Vatican is in support of this treaty. And that reaches a lot of people around the world in terms of any, um, you know, um, direction from the church. The same is happening in the Anglicans uh, in Britain and some of the archbishops and others are speaking out like they did for us with with the World Court opinion 25 years ago. Um, But now I think because we've got down from sort of 80, 75,000 nuclear weapons in the mid-early 80s down to now under around 15,000, it seems more achievable, but it's again going to need lots of those smaller states and, and bigger states actually to sign on to pressure the nuclear weapon states and also to stop giving them the cloak of respectability by being permanent members of the UN. Yes, I've been following the case of the Kings Bay Plowshares activists for some time. In fact, one of the men um, was just sentenced um, on the 14th. That's Patrick O'Neill. And he said that Pope Francis completely and totally established the church's position that nuclear weapons are sinful. That should resonate with the... A lot and, of and he's, they've been very strong in supporting this treaty and signing on. Even the Vatican can somehow sign on to these treaties. So, I mean, all that is good. It, now, it, it is a state. The Vatican is a state, so they have state yes. rights to do that. Yes. Yes. yes, yes, it's certainly a UN member. Now, I'm wondering about where New Zealand has, has, has strong... Um, connections with the U.S., the, the military and espionage connections, shouldn't that be changed because of this new illegality of nuclear weapons? Well, I think, I, I mean, New Zealand's always spoken out about um, the illegality of nuclear weapons and was a vice president of this conference, uh, this negotiating conference that we were at. New Zealand continues to criticise all the nuclear weapon states, not just the United States. I think the public should be criticising um, continued membership of Five Eyes, unless we're going to have an independent voice, which we're not seeing at the moment and they haven't for a long time. But I also think we need to be really scrutinising whether ANZUS is active again in some form. It has been all the time in terms of intelligence sharing, but we've got to be monitoring exercises with the United States. Um, you know, I think people have become a bit... Um, what's the word, just complacent over thinking that somehow even with a Labour government that everything's okay and we're strongly anti-nuclear and we're still speaking out on the right issues. But there are questions about Rocket Lab. Why are we supporting um, Lockheed and other military industrial um, companies who are sending off rockets with possibly the use of... um, you know, a military link to nuclear weapons. So again, it's really important that the public, and especially the Public Advisory Committee on Disarmament, which was set up under the Nuclear Free Act, that they also monitor what is happening and what we are signing away and what we're even supporting through either financing of nuclear weapons or uh, these rockets that are going off at Rocket Lab's Mahia site. Yes, I think I think the um, the COVID nineteen should have told the world, we're all in this together. And yeah. I think the same thing with nuclear weapons. We're all in this together. That's right. And I think that's 
And I do think pressure has to come from the public. We yes. do want the politicians to make decisions, but they've got to be pushed from below, in all fairness. Absolutely. And uh, wonderful what you've been doing, Kate. And um, Thanks I'm so, for all your contributions I'm so impressed with the, the young years. people you're turning the uh, Disarmament Security Centre over to. Aren't they Very wonderful? Impressed. Yes. We've, we've got it to go into the next generation, and they know how to use all the social media and the website, so we've got a lot of our material now available internationally. So hopefully some of the work that New Zealanders have done for decades will inspire other people in other countries. Okay. I'm just going to make one more, one last comment. Yes. Sticking about young people being active, the um, Extension Rebellion people, the climate activists, yes. are, are very energetic and so on. But I try to tell them, if you're not going to stop militarism, you're not going to save the climate. They're so interwoven. Yes, they are. Even the, um, the doomsday clock. Yes. Atomic scientists, they, they're talking about climate as well as war. And yes. Noam Chomsky has said climate and war. Yes. So if we could get that message across to those young people, that would be Absolutely. great. Absolutely. I, but I still want our young people to feel a sense of hope that before the, where they've come in the past, there have been people taking ordinary actions that have succeeded in shifting the mindset and that they need to be encouraged that whatever they do, you know, that it is going to have an impact because... Sometimes it takes decades. It doesn't just take a year or two to change <laughs> yeah. things. And, and so we need as old, older ones to nurture and encourage that next generation and well, our grandchildren. And uh, I, it was lovely to see little ones out on the pier and, uh, you know, with a sense of hope that, that things are changing. Well, thank you so much for talking to us, Kate. I don't think I know something else about you. You've been involved with music, haven't you? Yes, I have. Because I think we'll um, just finish now, instead of our usual outro, with the lovely song by the National Youth Choir, Kawaiata Amaria. It, uh, I think it's a, it's a message not to Maria, but to all women and to all hope. Yes. All people who care about others. So thank you so much, thank Dr. You. Kate thank Hughes. Thank you. Thank you. So, Marjorie, let's finish. We'll say goodbye for once at Earthwise, but finish with the lovely song by the New Zealand National Youth Choir called Kawaiata Amaria. And I think it's a message of hope and love to all women and all people everywhere. <laughs> 